And a good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to today's COSIDA Capital One Listening and Learning Webinar. I'm Nick Guerrero, coordinator on the Professional Development and Education Committee. We are pleased to offer a discussion today on financial planning and budgeting for SIDs, particularly in the COVID-19 climate. Our guest today is here to help us navigate through these tough financial times. Suzanne Johnson is the owner of Grace Financial Coaching, who has been guiding clients to a more sustainable future and carefree life for the last five years. Suzanne is a friend of our industry and she previously spent eight years in the uh, sports industry. So we appreciate her uh, for joining us today. Uh, before we begin though, we'd like to say, give a quick thank you to our corporate sponsors, Capital One, uh, presenting sponsor of our continuing education series. And as a reminder, uh, the webinar will be posted later today on cosida.com. We also will have this as a podcast and you'll be able to download it uh, from the uh, services listed on cosida.com. And we will place this webinar as well on our Cosida YouTube channel. Uh, thanks to all who have submitted questions in advance. We encourage you to submit your questions in the chat box and we'll address them throughout the uh, webinar. So Suzanne, how are you? Good, Nick. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. Not a problem. So let's talk a little about financial planning, what to do, how to save, where your money should go. I mean, COVID-19 has kind of thrown a lot of us for a loop from a financial standpoint, you know, prior to that. Money was good. Everyone was, you know, successful and, and people were going out and businesses were, 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 you know, making a lot of money and then it just completely stopped. Um, so we're going to talk a little bit about budgeting. So you know, tell us, how do we budget for our money when, you know, money's tight right now? Yeah, and I do want to recognize that I spent eight years in professional sports. The reason I've been invited here today is I was lucky enough to work with some of you guys. So uh, I know that some people I know will be watching this and uh, it is really tight. We don't make enough money when we work in sports. That's for sure, right? You guys are working 60, 70 hour weeks. And, you know, if you calculated your hourly rate, it wouldn't be pretty. So uh, we want to budget whether it's good times or bad times. So I'm going to share something right now with you guys on the screen for those who are participating uh, with the screen. And I am going to go over some uh, tools for the basics of budgeting. So here's what I want you to take a look at. Uh, the first category is food, uh, followed by shelter, utilities and transportation. Uh, and these are literally called the four walls of our budget. These are the absolute necessities. We need to keep these things going uh, no matter what situation we're in. So we're going to create this budget with these four walls. And in each category, there are some uh, things that I want to recognize. So food would only be uh, basic groceries. Right now, obviously, bars and restaurants, if they're open, uh, those are things that are um, can go to the back burner while we are looking to budget and uh, save our money. Shelter, we need to keep a roof over our heads. And one of the things I want to make clear is we need to prioritize these four things, particularly shelter, uh, over things like credit cards. Uh, it's not that big of a deal if you've got a couple past due payments, but we need to make sure that we've got a roof over your head. Utilities, that includes electricity, uh, sanitation, water, whatever comes in your area, and also internet. Cable and streaming services, uh, anything that could be cut out during this time would not cover be covered in this category. And finally, transportation. Uh, a lot of times people will neglect basic maintenance on their vehicle, uh, but this could be key to getting you to an in-person interview 
or getting you to a temporary job or a part-time gig. So don't uh, give up on those oil changes, make sure you've got good tires. And basically everything after this, Nick, is extra. And I wanna go into a little bit of what to do with things that are outside of these four walls of our budget and how to handle them. So one of those things yeah, is dealing with creditors and uh, it, it, it's hard. We, there's some bills that we're just not gonna be able to pay right now. Um, if you find yourself in that situation, I want you to proactively call your creditors, explain your current situation. The more communication you have with these guys, the better. Make a record of the dates and times that you called, the person you spoke with, and make sure not to be scared or embarrassed. You're taking the mature route and being proactive as opposed to being reactive after getting a late notice or a hit on your credit score. Um, in the event you call a creditor and they're rude to you, uh, remember this is your phone call. You're trying to be a good customer. Please feel free to hang up on them and call again and get someone who's going to listen to your concerns. And update your creditors every two to three weeks on your situation. Again, by being proactive with this communication, uh, you are going to take control of your financial situation and let them know that you want to pay your bills, but you're in a position where you can't right now. Let's talk a little bit about that. Obviously, four walls are extremely important and we're, we're not talking about you know, going to a five-star restaurant every night, but like you said, it's, it's, the, it's, the, it's the basics to keep yourself there. You know, what are some things that you can do to, in order to do that? Like, obviously, you and I have had many of conversations. Maybe let's not go to the most expensive, you know, maybe let's not go to Whole Foods every time uh, to get our food and our produce and stuff. But, you know, what are some steps that maybe you, throughout your coaching and some of your clients, what are some of the things maybe you've talked to them about just how to stay basic? Yeah, so to the basics of the budget uh, really involve being diligent. Um, and a lot of times when we're going through a situation like this, we don't feel like being diligent. We don't feel like driving to the cheaper grocery store because it's actually five miles out of your way. Uh, we don't feel like waiting to drive past Costco to get gas. We could just go to 7-Eleven. Um, so the four walls of that budget and any budget require diligence. So we have to uh, prioritize diligence and saving money over convenience for a time being. Listen, we're gonna learn how to live with this. We're gonna move past this. Hopefully all spring sports will be played moving forward. Hopefully fall sports will be played in the spring if they can squeeze those in. And we're gonna get back to what we, you know, what we keep referring to as normal. Uh, but in the meantime, like you said, Nick, let's skip the Whole Foods and let's go to uh, Stop and Shop or Aldi or something to that effect and just be more diligent with how we're spending our dollars. Yeah, I think another main thing you talked about are utilities and some of those streaming services. I think, you know, just kind of thinking personal with myself and maybe some other people that live in major cities, you know, maybe, you know, putting on halt or canceling that, you know, monthly, you know, Metro card that you're used to getting, you know, putting those on the back burner because you are working from home, you know, or, you know, some of these other, whether it's a stitch fix or, you know, some of these other clothing uh, companies that, that may be doing their, you know, monthly subscriptions. Um, but at the end of the day, we all can't wear sweatpants and T-shirts all day. So we need to be able to kind of, you know, keep ourselves motivated to go out. What are some things, you know, that you can do, you know, whether it's like an entertainment budget or ways that you can kind of keep that normalcy of, you know, going out every once in a while, but not overdoing it? 
Well, I definitely want to address the clothing situation. I've had quite a few clients in my day who had uh, Stitch Fix and those automatic clothing boxes. I think Amazon did it for a while. And uh, I've heard it, I heard a stat from a woman whose podcast I went on pretty recently. And she said, did you know that women only wear 20% of what's in their closet? And I was like, well, now I'm going to go pay attention to what I'm wearing. And sure enough, after the last few weeks, I'm like, I only wear about a quarter of this stuff. So yeah, we absolutely want to make sure that we have the right clothes for an interview. That's why we want to keep the car working. We want to be prepared if a job opportunity comes available or a part-time job opportunity becomes available so that we can take advantage of that. Uh, but yes, like you said, a lot of the stuff you mentioned is ancillary to those four walls. So when we're doing our budget on top of those four walls, there are more pieces than just that, but that is how you start your budget. We have an entertainment category. We have a fun money category, especially if you're married or in a relationship where you guys are sharing funds. The fun money is so important because you can't have one side of the relationship feeling like this one's able to do something fun because they're still stably employed and this one can't do anything. So yes, we have to have fun money. We have to have entertainment in there. Um, right now, listen, depending on where you are, stuff's either, I feel like it's either completely open or it's still completely shut down. It's like there's no in between right now. So if you are in a place where you can go out to eat, but you're not in a great place uh, with your employment, you're a little worried still, or you've been reduced in hours, cut down on it. I mean, a lot of times people will go through their bank account with me and they'll say, holy crap, I didn't even know I was spending $1,500 a month on restaurants and bars and things like that. Um, that obviously got cut back a lot earlier in the year. Uh, but as things start to reopen, let's not get too crazy with it. And let's just make sure we have a dollar figure in our budget for those fun categories, restaurants, bars, entertainment, and we stick with it. Obviously, you talk a lot about dealing with the creditors and, you know, not only are you dealing with creditors, but also, you know, there are times if you're if you're a parent and you, you know, you've got to make ortho, you know, pay for your kids orthodontist, you've got to pay for medical expenses and stuff like that. Obviously, within those four walls, you know, it doesn't really talk about those health, you know, obviously we are in a health crisis, you know, what do you tell people to do in those situations if you do have health bills, are you calling you know, Dr. Joe and saying, hey, I can only pay you 50 bucks or, you know, calling your uh, insurance company and kind of kind of seeing where that goes. What's what's the best advice for that? If you're still employed and you have access to your employer's health insurance, that's obviously the greatest, the best part of that situation. Um, listen, braces might have to get put on hold. If you're in the middle of that process right now, call the dentist's office, call the orthodontist and just treat them just like you would any other creditor and say, hey, Dr. Jones, we started this procedure nine months ago and my, me and my husband, or I'm unemployed or whatever it is. Um, there is something called care credit out there, which does extend through many, many, many different health uh, offices, including dentist office. Not everybody offers it, but it can be up to 12 months with no interest which is huge. Um, and I have had clients take advantage of that when I had one poor client who had four cavities at once and had just cut her dental insurance down uh, or just had her dental insurance cut down on her by her employer. And she was able to use care credit. We had her on a budget and we were able to put the exact amount away every single month that she needed to pay off that bill. She paid it off in less than 12 months and never got hit with interest. Uh, so again, treat the dentist, treat the doctor just like you would a creditor and say, I can't pay this right now. How can you help me? 
uh, you and I have talked about this privately. There are so many things that creditors are doing right now that I have never seen happen before. I had a client call her Visa American Airlines or whoever does the American Airlines card and say, I can't pay this right now. What can you do for me? And she just stopped talking. And the woman on the other end goes, well, hold on. Let me, let me see what we can do. And she comes back. She cut her interest rate in half. That would have never happened a year ago. So don't be afraid to ask. And again, don't be embarrassed. Don't be scared. It's your phone call. If it gets uncomfortable, you hang up the phone. You're in control of that situation. Yeah, I think that's the important part too. When you are, you know, dealing with folks in customer service, it is their job to assist the customer, obviously, with that. Um, but there does become that time when you are unemployed and you, you know, whether it's your student loans or some of these other ones, you know, outside of you know, cutting, cutting things off your list that are just not important, you know, what else, what other options are there, resources out there? I think, you know, we've talked about, you know, if you've lost your job and you're unemployed, what, you know, there are other companies that will help with medical, you know, if you go through your state's, you know, marketplace, or, you know, if there's some kind of a, you know, third party company out there that helps with, you know, um, uh, like medical sharing and, and money sharing with stuff like that, is that something that you've, talk with a lot of your clients about. Yeah, definitely. I'm a big fan of healthcare co-ops. Um, for anybody who's watching who knows me, I moved out to California for several years and I, I knew the cost of healthcare in California was astronomical. Um, so at this point I was still working for an employer, a corporate employer full-time and I was able to sign on to a healthcare co-op and the employer actually paid me to stay off of their insurance <laughs> because it's so astronomically expensive for employers to subsidize our healthcare. A lot of people don't realize how expensive it is for them. Uh, so it's their healthcare or healthcare co-ops or healthcare sharing plans that I always encourage people to look into. You're not gonna find these on your state's websites. These are private companies. And what happens is it gets funded by the members, so by the people who are taking part in the healthcare cost sharing, and then your costs get reimbursed. I did have a healthcare scare. I had to go get a whole bunch of tests done. I got every penny back, except I think like a $90 copay. And I got every other penny back reimbursed to me. Um, and it was totally worth it. Uh, there is a membership fee, but there's a membership fee for everything, right? Uh, so that is definitely an alternative and a very cost-saving alternative compared to going on COBRA or things like that if you find yourself unemployed. Obviously, you know, insurances are important, but there's also life insurance. There's also, you know, other insurances that were part of your plan from your university. So talk a little bit about that. You know, how important is, you know, life insurance? How important are some of these other plans that, you know, were given to you uh, by, by your university? And maybe if you're no longer with them or furloughed, that may have been taken away from you. Yeah, absolutely. Life insurance, one of the things that we spoke about uh, prior to, to jumping on this call is uh, what are some of the priorities that people who have young families or are recently married or have been married for a long time, what is the priority when it comes to costs? Um, life insurance is so important. Uh, we want to make sure that, God forbid, anything happens, even though you're unemployed right now or whatever it is, that your family is taken care of moving forward. And not everybody likes talking about this, <laughs> but I will um, share this really quickly with you guys. Um, here are kind of my high level talking points for life insurance. If you're married with kids or if anyone is relying on your income, anyone, if you are taking care of a parent, if you're taking care of a sibling, um, you must have life insurance uh, because that person is relying on your income. And if that goes away, 
that is going to cause them major, major difficulties above and beyond just grieving for their loss, right? So price out a term life insurance policy uh, that is a minimum of five times your annual salary. Ideal amount is 10 to 12 times your annual salary. However, if that's not doable right now, that's understandable. Price out something with a term life insurance broker that is at least five times your salary. If you're single um, and no one depends on your income, I'd still think it's a great idea to get a term life insurance policy that will cover your final expenses. Uh, I use this just as an example because it's usually the most expensive, but a full-fledged Catholic funeral and burial runs around $35,000 these days. If you Google it online, it'll tell you seven to $12,000. That is basic minimum kind of state requirements when you have someone who is having a wake at a funeral home and things like that. Not trying to scare everybody, um, but it really does cost up to almost $35,000. So the very least you can do, get a term life insurance policy for something around twenty dollars to $30,000 based on how you wanna be remembered and make the beneficiary into a parent, sibling, a trusted friend. And speaking of beneficiaries, doesn't matter how much life insurance you have. If your beneficiaries are not up to date, <laughs> then it's not gonna help anyone. Uh, so make sure you log into your policy at least once a year uh, and make sure all the contact information for those beneficiaries is up to date. If someone outside of your spouse is a beneficiary, if it's your parent or your sibling, make sure to tell them. Um, let them know, hey, you're the beneficiary on my life insurance policy. Here's a copy of the cover page. They don't have to know how much you paid. They, you know, they just need to have the policy number and that way they can work on it, God forbid, in the event something happens. And this goes for if you're employed or unemployed. If you're still currently employed and you have employer-based life insurance, double check that that's enough. I've seen employers provide up to $250,000 of life insurance for free. And I've seen some policies that are as low as $10,000. So you have, it's your responsibility to go in there, see what your employer provides. And if your employer doesn't provide anything, or if you're not um, able, you don't, you don't have the ability to get insurance through an employer, then it's your responsibility to go out and find one. And one of the things I help my clients do is to contact life insurance brokers, uh, someone that is going to go out there and shop for the policy for you not you calling every single company and oh my gosh i don't know if mutual of omaha is better than whoever but have somebody do that for you that's at no cost to you so that's definitely a great resource too a lot of people don't realize that yeah obviously not only are you worrying about your life insurance as you you know as we as we get older and, and staying in the in our industry but retirement someone of us that you know may, may be forced to start thinking about retirement now or you know, because of the pandemic, will there be retirement? So what do we do in those situations? How do we continue to put money into our retirement funds? I, I you know, I, I just from hearing, I've heard a lot of universities have actually kind of stopped the matching program during this, you know, for, for a year or they've, you know, stopped a lot of their extra benefits. What do we do in those situations? Yeah, that's a tough one. Um, it's really hard for me to say this, but in certain situations, I recommend that people stop investing in their retirement. And I'll explain why. Right now, if you find yourself in a crisis situation, you have been completely laid off, you have no hours, the furlough has no end in sight, you may still... Um, be putting away, your your employer might still be paying you a little bit or they might be paying you, um, you know, the last four weeks of your paycheck or whatever it is. 
And some of that money might be going into your retirement. I'd actually encourage you to stop that. If you know that your hours are going to get reduced, if you know that you're about to be laid off and you've only got four to six weeks left or whatever it is, or you're waiting to find out if your fall season is happening. Um, and the reason for that is I would prefer you to restart your retirement savings in a year from now or two years from now. And I'd rather you have that cash in your hand. And the reason for that is kind of goes back to the four walls of budgeting. I'd rather you be late on a few credit card payments and make sure your mortgage is paid, make sure your rent is paid on time. Uh, so that definitely is not a very popular idea. I get pushed back on that a lot, but if you are still employed or um, have money coming out of your paycheck, your income to go to retirement, consider pausing it right now because you may need that cash sooner than 40 years down the road, 30 years down the road. Uh, in terms of if you are again in, in a stable position, you are getting 10 to 15 years from retirement, yeah, you still wanna definitely contribute. If you're over 50, you're able to contribute more. Um, Roth IRAs, I help my clients do those all the time. Um, and oh, and by the way, if you have any money like sitting around from a prior gig, <laughs> make sure it is all rolled into a Roth IRA. I can't tell you how many times I've worked with people who work in an industry like sports where you can have multiple employers in several years and their 401ks are just sitting there. They're doing nothing. They're in these little piles and these little silos and we could be combining those into a Roth IRA, working with a money manager for very, very little money, you know, less than one or 2%. And that money could be making a, a lot more money on top of it for them. But we gotta make sure all those pieces get put together into one big sum. So one thing I've, you know, heard people talk about and, you know, depending on how you look at it from a government standpoint, but should you ever, if you're in dire straits, pull out your retired money and cash it in early? Is that a, is that a smart plan to do? Or is that something where, you know, later, later down the line, when you fill out your taxes, it, it could come back to bite you? Yeah. So right now, and I almost wish they didn't do this, that the government didn't do this. You take 401k loan, a 401k loan right now, you will not pay, so there are penalties, fees, and taxes, and they have taken some of those um, negative attributes away when you borrow on a 401k right now. I still would not recommend doing this. I wouldn't recommend doing this if everything was okay, and I wouldn't recommend doing this now. What happens is when you leave your job, and you will leave your job, you will leave your job for a better one, you will leave your job for a bigger school, you will get laid off. That loan is coming due in full in a very short period of time. So I strongly, strongly suggest the only time I have people borrow from a 401k is if they are trying to avoid foreclosure. And honestly, even then, it could the foreclosure might still not be as bad if we could do a short sale. Uh, if they have a, a property to sell. So it, it is literally, it is down there with foreclosure, short sales, it's a last resort. If you have borrowed from your 401k and you were hearing this and you don't know that if you lose your job, you're gonna have to pay it back pretty quickly, get on a budget, start what we call a sinking fund, figure out how much you owe and start sinking money into a savings account somewhere so that you can start paying that thing back sooner than later. Some of them won't let you pay back over time which is very annoying. So you can't just throw $700 at it uh, once a month. Some of them, you have to save up the entire 7,000 and pay it all at once. So it's your responsibility to save the whole thing. So each one is gonna be slightly different, uh, but it is still a very good idea to A, not do that in the first place, and B, if you have, get out of it as quickly as possible. So questions come in. I think this is a good area as we're talking about money and what to do with it. So what do you recommend as a strategy for growing your credit and savings? in a profession that you know historically we're most of us are underpaid in 
Oh my gosh, yes, you guys are so underpaid. As I said earlier, 67 hours a week and uh, you know, not a very good hourly rate, right? Um, so one of the things that I would recommend is to have an emergency fund. An emergency fund is de um, defined as three to six months of expenses, uh, equivalent of your expenses. Uh, how do you figure out what your expenses are? Your expenses come from your budget. <laughs> so if you have your budget done, you know exactly what your expenses are every single month. Um, and this is something we recommend even outside of an economic shutdown, having three to six months of expenses. Um, three months would be having the reason it's three to six um three months would be is if you're in a more stable long-term job you've been there for a while maybe you've been promoted once or twice so you're there for the long haul six months would be if you're a little newer to the industry or you know that your time at this current job this current school is limited uh if you're a contractor i know we have you know i met a bunch of people when i was doing some of the ncaa tournaments who were contractors for those people and for myself now that i'm a small business owner nine to 12 months of expenses this takes time i am not telling you to wake up tomorrow morning and magically have thirty thousand dollars in your bank account i get it it is going to take up a long time to save this it's not going to happen overnight but again we're going to take a sinking fund approach to this we're going to figure out what number we want to save up to and then we are going to save a little bit every month towards that again as long as you're in a situation right now where you're still getting paid so what you're saying is don't go out and play the stock markets today. <laughs> I don't think you're going to find the next Davy Day Trader here. I was going to say, unless you're, you're Davy Day Trader and your stocks only go up, um, I'm highly going to discourage that. <laughs> Obviously, the other thing, you know, we all sit here and we... In, you log into your bank account and the one big thing that flashes up is your credit score. You know, obviously that that's something, you know, in these times, like we're talking about, if we're not paying, if we're having hard times to pay, you know, or, or if you're in a situation where your living situation has to change and you're, you're putting in for a new credit card or you're putting in for a new rent. Is that important right now? Or is that just kind of like, just throw it away and worry about it later? So it, the credit score has turned into kind of the end all be all for people who it, it's just like everyone is so obsessed with their credit score right your credit score is simply a reflection of your relationship with debt it means nothing if if you have a lot of money your credit score has no idea what is in your savings account you could be a multi-millionaire and have a 200 credit because you just don't have a relationship with credit cards so it is definitely misleading however in most markets where you guys are working probably a lot of people are renting right so when you go to rent something they want to see a credit score um this can still be achieved without going into further debt and when i have clients who want to continue to build their credit score or let's say they were really really bad with money their credit score is sub 600 they want to try to build it back up because they do need to rent a new place or they do want to get a mortgage the traditional way which is just based off of credit score usually um this is how we kind of manipulate the system in order so that they can still build their credit score. I want you to take some of your fixed costs every month. So your cell phone bill usually is, you know, one to two pennies off, right? Um, your electricity, depending on where you are, um, might be around the same amount, but some stuff that is like even streaming services, if you're gonna hold on to the Hulus and the Netflixes and stuff like that, those are flat rates every single month, right? Take those and put those on auto pay with a credit card. Not a big credit card fan. I no longer have any credit cards, uh, but take those and put those on credit cards and auto pay them. So the second the bill hits, it gets paid. Now we have a charge sitting out on your credit card. 
I want you to also set up an auto transfer from your checking account, however you, you know, communicate with your credit card company, whether it's through your own bank or you're going into a separate visa site, whatever it is, and have it set up so that's paid immediately within, within 24 to 48 hours. What this does is this shows a revolving credit relationship with debt, but it's not increasing your debt. This is stuff you were gonna pay anyway, right? You were gonna pay this out of your checking account anyway. The people who are calculating your FICO score have no idea that your Verizon bills on your credit card and you're just paying it off monthly. All they see is that you have a revolving relationship with debt and you're very consistent about paying it off. The amount actually doesn't matter. <laughs> it doesn't matter that your Verizon bill is $79.99 a month. It doesn't matter that your internet bill is $49.99 a month. All FICO sees, all Equifax sees is that you have this revolving relationship. Yeah, I think that's the important part too because you know if you're if you're trying to keep your worrying about the score, but also trying to, you know, worry about, you know, paying, I think the auto pay is important. You know, a lot of, a lot of companies out, you know, offer that, especially if you're, like you said, if you're with Netflix or, or with ESPN plus, like a lot of us are. Um, let's talk a little bit about something that's kind of new and it's a little bit uncertain and not a lot of people understand it, but it's this whole payroll tax, this whole thing that got brought up from the government. They're talking about, hey, you may see more money today, but you're gonna have to pay us back. What's going on with that? Is that is that fully true? Is that just kind of one of those things that you see on the news networks? Right, and they're trying to scare you further and beyond already how we've been scared in 2020. Yeah, exactly. Um, it is a real thing right now. Uh, so the payroll, just to go back what it is, you pay a payroll tax every single month, right? It, 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 no one looks at their, no one looks at their income statement anymore, right? Their direct deposit statement. But if you happen to look at yours, there is a payroll tax on there that you pay. That will not be taken out of your, if you're one of the people affected, it will not be taken out of your paycheck. And therefore it will result in an increase in your income because you're no longer paying that tax. However, as it stands right now, if you are one of these people affected, you will have to pay it back. Um, it is going to be the responsibility of the legislature to uh, make this a permanent deduction or rescind this deduction, I should say. Um, and that doesn't look like it's happening right now. So what the people who should be, are going to be affected by this from a mandatory standpoint where you're gonna have no choice these are going to be federal employees. So for example, my husband's affected, he's active duty military. We have already seen an increase in his paycheck and we have already said, don't spend that. We've got to go give that back to Uncle Sam in six to nine months, something to that effect. So if you, uh, usually the people who are, are affected right now by the mandatory um, deduction, deferral, excuse me, um, are going to be, again, those federal employees. So probably everybody on here, um, unless your state has made a statement that they are going to pass this through their legislature, um, you probably shouldn't be affected. Uh, and that, would, again, would only be if you worked at a state school. Private entities are gonna have to decide to do this on their own. But if you are a federal employee, if you work at one of our military schools and you are paid by DFAS, which is the payroll processor for the Department of Defense, and you make less than 104,000 a year, you are automatically going to be stuck receiving more money. If that's the case, um, if you're an employer who already said, I'm not going to deduct your payroll tax and we're going to figure it out later, don't look at this as the golden egg. Take this money, open up a separate savings account or use a savings account you haven't been using and figure out what that difference is every other paycheck, every single paycheck and put it in the savings account. Um, the only time I would recommend using this money is if right now you are experiencing dire straits, you are still getting paid, but you are super, super behind 
on rent, on mortgage, can't pay your utility bills. If that's the case and you're in storm mode or crisis mode, then use that money and figure out later on how you're going to pay it back. Um, work with a financial coach to figure out a budget on how you're going to pay that back. But if you're one of these people that's like, man, I really, I really don't need this money right now. I can, I can live without it. And I don't want a big tax bill in April of 2021, take this money and put it aside and just wait for uncle Sam to send you a bill. So we've got a question talking about this. Uh, when you're talking about the payroll tax, are we talking about social security withholdings? Yeah. So that is also, that <laughs> remains to be seen, unfortunately. Um, there has been some talk. It, it does affect, it is going to affect the money that is going into social security. Yes. That has, that's been all the political talk that you've seen. I don't have an opinion on this personally. Um, I just know that it has impacted my household's paycheck and we're taking it and putting it in a savings account. So it, it, you'll see it on your uh, pay stub as social security tax, um, as a federal income tax, something to that effect. And just know that if you don't desperately need it right now, you should probably just put it aside and anticipate that you're gonna have a big tax bill in April of 2021. We ask everyone to keep sending in their questions, uh, something we've talked about, something we haven't talked about. Uh, you know, obviously Suzanne's here to kind of guide us through the, the world that we're, we're kind of living in right now. Um, a question kind of came in a little, a little while ago that, you know, maybe on the minds of, of some of us that as, as, you know, we thought about this maybe, you know, pre-March, but, you know, if you're asking or you're planning on asking your uh, your boss for a raise and you're you're planning on asking for it now, is this the right time? Is it selfish? What should one do? So I love this question. We we did like Nick said, we got this one in a little early. Um, this allows us to have a conversation about healthy boundaries. When you work in sports, collegiate, independent, professional, it is the ultimate cliche. It's a labor of love, right? So I'm gonna make the leap that this audience member and most of the people that I know in the sports world, you are probably currently working for less money than you are worth on the open market. And you probably deserve a raise. <laughs> so asking for a raise in and of itself is not a selfish act. Basically what you're doing is you're establishing or you're presenting a new boundary with your employer and you're saying, I am willing to do this X amount of work but only moving forward if it pays me why. Um, this is healthy, this is reasonable, this is an adult conversation. You are responsible to support yourself and your family. Um, if you're gonna do this still, I'm not saying you shouldn't, make a list of reasons why you deserve a raise. Don't be shy, but don't over-exaggerate. But then take a harder look, like you said, Nick, at your employer's current situation. Have they laid off other people in your position or other staff members? Um, have the fall schedules been postponed or completely canceled? Uh, any sports been permanently disbanded? They're not coming back ever. If you work at a state school, you're paid via the state probably, right? Via the state budget. What does your state's budget look like right now? Probably not that great. Nobody's state budget looks good. But after considering all of these factors, even if they still don't look good, I would still have the conversation with my employer. Um, set up the meeting. Don't just ambush them, right? Explain the topic. Tell them exactly why you want to meet with them at 1230 on Friday. Bring a copy of your list. Don't necessarily start reading it out loud. Um, but you you may even get be, you may even be prepared to take a pay cut, right? Maybe your employer's been wanting to have this conversation with you, like, hey, we're gonna have to cut back a little bit. I just haven't know I didn't know how to tell you yet. Um, but what this is gonna do at the very least 
it's going to start the conversation about a raise with your supervisor. Even if you end up taking a pay cut next week, and that was coming down the pike anyway, in January, you could wake up and your boss could be like, hey, I remember you wanted, you sat down, we talked about having a raise a couple months ago, let's revisit that conversation. Uh, so it just opens a door that wasn't open already. So even in this particular situation, think about all those external environmental factors, but I'd still go for it. I'd still have a you know a solid, healthy conversation with my supervisor. Yeah, I remember on our last uh, webinar that we had talking about um, mental health and, and, you know, within our industry one of the questions that actually came out was talking about what do we do if you know our staff used to be a four-person staff and now we're down to a three-person staff and i'm taking on the role of two or you know of another staff member do i deserve anything is it how do i go about talking about that how do i go about you know pleading my case that you know yes i'm grateful to still have my job but how do am i is there anything on the table for me? Is that something that is also a fair question to ask? Or is that kind of one of those, you kind of signed up for this question? Yeah, um, and I think that's gonna be on an individual basis. Again, if it's a state school and they know that the state has already said, we are in dire straits, we've lost a ton of income or property tax or whatever it is, um, they know those cuts are coming down the road. Yeah, it might be a really hard conversation. It might be super awkward. Your boss might look, you know, if you don't have a good boss, you might look at you like, what are you out of your freaking mind? Um, but, <laughs> but again, if the, if you set this up, I think if you set up like a really healthy boundary and just say, I am putting this forward, it's, it's I don't think anyone's going to yell at you. It, it's just going to be like, hey, this is something I was considering six months ago. I understand this is going to come off, this may be coming off as callous right now, but I still want to just have this conversation with you so that when we get back to some sense of normalcy. If we're not gonna hire anybody, is it a possibility for me to see a pay increase from having to take on an additional one or two positions? That's a good one, yeah. Uh, good question just came in. Uh, if you're unemployed, but you're doing some consulting work right now, is it better for tax purposes to form an LLC? And what are some of those other benefits? No, not necessarily. Uh, depends on your state, really. Um, so. The LLC can get pretty expensive. It's extremely expensive in states, for example, like California. Um, the only thing I would say is to set up an EIN tax number. So just Google EIN federal tax ID. It takes 33 seconds. Honestly, when I set it up years ago for my business, I couldn't believe how quick it was. What that does is that removes your social security number from the business liability. Um, yes, could you eventually be liable for something in your business? Yeah, but the EIN tax number basically separates the person from the company. I would look into a seriously, you know, a cheaper, whatever your state's version of an S corp is, it can be as low as $22 for the year um, versus 800, I think it's 800 plus 250 in California to have an LLC every single year. So that's totally not worth it. If you're just doing this consulting or freelancing thing on the side right now, I would just go set up an S corp for less than 40 bucks um, and just make sure you get that free EIN number so that you can provide that number when you're doing your freelance or consult work instead of your social. So talk a little bit about that. So if you're obviously, you know, we're anticipating, you know, college football just started and college basketball is, you know, two months away. If you're working as a, ta you know, table crew, do you set up that or do you just kind of say, hey, you know, I'm going to fill out my you know, university papers to be, a, you know, either a part-time employee or, you know, as a freelancer, cut me, you know, and you just cut me a check for 50 to 100, you know, whatever it is, or do you go to them and say, hey, you know, I'm Nick, here's my company, it's Nick Stats, whatever. 
uh, do you do it that way or is it easier just to kind of take the money and file the follow your taxes that way um, as an individual if that's not going to be your full-time gig, if that, you know, if that is not going to, like that person asked, I kind of, I, I may have made the assumption that that was kind of sustaining them right now. Um, if this isn't sustaining you, if this is still just part-time work and when everything kind of comes back, this is still going to be part-time work for you, I would stick with just filling out the uh, the tax forms the way you've been filling them out. I don't think it's worth, if, if it's not something that's going to eventually turn into what is going to be your full-time salary, I, I wouldn't waste, I wouldn't give the government your money right now. <laughs> forming an S-Corp or an LLC. So obviously we look at some tools and some and some tips and some ideas like obviously you've talked about you know having budgeting sheets and, and all that what are some tools that you can use you know I know obviously on your website you give a, a lot of downloadable resources but you know is there anything that I can put on my phone and you know if I go grocery shopping it's okay I spent $130 put it into some app are there are there those types of tools out there that's like you know every, everyday use? Yeah, definitely. Um, some of the more popular ones are going to be Mint or YNAB, which stands for You Need a Budget. Uh, the tool that I recommend, um, and I don't get paid for this for recommending it, but is Every Dollar. Uh, that's the name of the app. It's a little green app. And I've been using it since it came out in early 2015. I joke around a lot of times that if I had been the first person to download it, I wouldn't even be surprised uh, because I had used this particular company's budgeting sheets prior to using their app. Um, it is the single most powerful tool. Besides my motivation, my own personal motivation, that I used to pay off $90,000 in debt in less than three and a half years. Literally, that is the number one tool. If you ask me what the key to paying off that debt was in less than three and a half years, it would be the Every Dollar budgeting app. It costs money because the company has to tie into your bank accounts and the bank, the companies, the banks won't let them do that for free. So the company does charge, I think it's like $130 a year. It's the it's the easiest $130 a year I spend because it still keeps me accountable. When you get the paid version, it ties into your bank accounts. You wake up in the morning, there's a little notification that says you have transactions. You go in there and you drag and drop those transactions into your pre-sorted budget categories. There's already a budget in there. You can customize it as much as you want or you don't have to customize it at all. Uh, but that was definitely the one thing that helped me the most. Um, I do still have people who, even younger people who want to use pen and paper. It just, that's how they learn. That's how they learned in college by hand taking notes. They weren't one of those people with a computer in front of them and they still wanna use a pen and paper. Um, I have a budgeting form that I'm gonna share with the Cosida viewers today. If anybody wants to go to my website, uh, there's a subscribe button on there. Put your email in, hit subscribe and you will get uh, the file for free today if you're a COSIDA person. Um, and then also uh, what I wanna offer to the COSIDA audience today is that I'm gonna give away five completely complimentary coaching sessions. So if you sign up for that budgeting tool uh, via the website right now, it's gracefinancialcoaching.com slash subscribe, you'll automatically be entered to win a full coaching session. And so that's my gift to you guys today. Uh, I definitely wanna help out as many people in the sports industry as I possibly can. That's awesome. That's great. Here's some more questions. And, I, and I, it, you know, we're starting to get a lot of questions in. So I want to make sure we get these in uh, within our, our time span. Uh, this has to do with more furloughing. So if uh, facing a furlough, what questions should be asked of the human resources folks regarding where my salary might be when returning to work and how that time away will affect my retirement if it's a, you know, a three year average? Okay, so great question. So if you've already heard from your employer that, hey, listen, 
the, you know, we're not doing so hot. We're going to have to have everybody furloughed for one week a month for the next three months, whatever the time frame is, two, two weeks in a row. Um, some of the questions you want to ask are, uh, if you're only going to be furloughed for one paycheck, it's probably not the end of the world. If this is going to be multiple paychecks, then definitely ask if there's a 401k match, is that going to be suspended during that furlough? Um, so if you have money going to that retirement account and it was getting matched at 3%, just know that for those six paychecks or four paychecks or two paychecks that you miss, you're not going to get that match. You may choose to turn it off for a month or turn it off for two months, but it doesn't, you know, it's really just a question to ask so you have more information. Um, make sure you ask about health insurance for sure. If this is a long-term furlough, you may suddenly get uh, information that your health insurance has been suspended. There's laws in different states. Some states are allowed to do this, some states aren't, uh, but that's definitely a question you wanna ask. Um, and then when you go back to work, as the, uh, the person asked, um, definitely ask if it's gonna be at the same salary. That is a very valid, valid question. <laughs> you don't wanna wake up going back to work on uh, November 1st and your salary has been cut in half because if you know that's gonna happen, you could have been spending these last four weeks looking for a new gig. So yes, that is an absolute valid question. So if that is not made abundantly clear uh, by your HR department, definitely ask that question. Another one came in. If you have the capability to do so, to do to do it, and you want to be more aggressive at this point, what areas would you suggest for moving forward, retirement savings, etc.? Yeah. So if you if you want to get more aggressive with saving, or what was that? Uh, retirement. Oh, get more aggressive with retirement. Yeah. So if you're in a stable situation, you are you have a budget, all of your expenses are covered. Um, if you want to get more aggressive with retirement, the way you get more aggressive with retirement is by making sure you're completely out of debt. And I know that sounds counterintuitive uh, and it doesn't really sound like I answered the question, but uh, I want you to be out of debt because I want you to have all of your income be your income. So if you want to get serious about saving for retirement, get out of debt and put more money towards retirement. The way we put more money, the way we want to structure our retirement is we want to go to our employer-sponsored program first. So make sure you're contributing up to the match of your 401k, your 403b, or your TSP, depending on what type of employee you are. Um, and then I want you to go start a Roth IRA. So if, again, if this is only if you're in the position where you are completely employed, you are not worried about layoffs. If you're worried about layoffs, we need to be squirreling away money into an emergency fund. If you're worried about that furlough we just got asked about, you need to be saving money on the side. We do not need to be putting money into a retirement account that causes penalties and fees and taxes if we get desperate and have to take it out. So again, you're in a stable situation. 401k, 403b, or TSP, fully fund your Roth IRA. Figure out at that point how much money you're putting into your retirement. If that dollar amount doesn't hit 15% of your income, then go back to the 401k and increase your contributions to the 401k above and beyond the match. The ultimate goal is 15% of your after-tax income into retirement. That's the ultimate goal. That's awesome. Question came in about student debt. Uh, question is, uh, I've got about $8,000 remaining in my student debt. Uh, would you recommend paying it off now or do we wait till November when the elections go through? Oh my gosh, if one more person tells me to wait until November 4th for something, I'm gonna scream. Um, so many people believe that depending on the person who gets elected, that their student loans may magically get paid off. I am here to tell you that's not happening. <laughs> um, the federal debt relief program that pays off student loans 
um, has a 0.2% approval rate. 0.2, not 2%, 0.2%. What are the chances of you getting approved for that? Do you wanna know who those 0.2 people are? They are medical people or they are the military. The chances of honestly anyone on this phone call, unless they have done military service, um, they are pre-med and they're just doing sports as like a hobby or something. The chances of you getting that paid off are literally almost zero. Do not rely on this program. Do not rely on a presidential candidate or an election to pay back a loan that you owe. $8,000, man, if I had a client call me, a new client call me today and say, I only have $8,000 in student loan debt, I'd be like, we are paying this thing off in 12 months and let me show you how we're gonna do it. <laughs> because there are people who call me and they've got six figures of student loan debt. I'm sure there's people on here who have it. And it's no one's fault, right? It's just the culture that we have been brought up in. But what determines if you should pay off your student loan debt now, especially while there's no interest on it? Again, depends on your circumstances. Are you in that stable job? Um, the school is you know, fully funded, it's a private school, they haven't lost any money or whatever it is. Are you at risk of being let go or furloughed? Do you have an emergency fund in place? If your circumstances are solid, throw as much money as you possibly can at that 8K while it is not uh, gaining interest, for sure. That's, yeah, that's a good idea. If you can kind of beat it now while there's no interest, it, you know, you'll, you'll save yourself down the line for you know maybe going on a vacation who knows where we are in exactly. a couple of years uh let and man people to have all of your income be your income it is an amazing feeling it's it's just the being debt free and seeing your paycheck and yeah it's after taxes right but it's all your money and you get to decide what to do with it that's like the best part before we end this let's uh let's talk a little bit about something that you had mentioned earlier about Money, time, value, all that stuff. How how important really is that to you know what we're doing and to some of our stories? So yeah, you and I spoke about this briefly. I had a boss uh, when I was doing professional sports who um, I took an unpaid internship, right? So most people here took an unpaid internship, I bet, to get to where they are today. So I was assigned to a mid-level manager at the time. He eventually became my boss when I ended up working for that professional team. And to this day, I still consider him a mentor. Uh, he's now the senior director for game entertainment for an NFL team. He has produced six Super Bowls. So he's done pretty well for himself. Um, he told me this a few years back and I never forgot it. And I called him the other day because I wanted to share it with you guys. We have two finite aspects of our lives that drive us. We have time and we have money. A lot of people weigh money as the most important thing in life, but actually it's time. And right now it might not feel like that. It, you might be looking at me like this lady was just talking about money five seconds ago. What the hell is she talking about now? Time is more important. I'm, I'm struggling here. I, I haven't been paid in six weeks. I haven't been paid in eight weeks, whatever it is. You guys are used to working in college athletics so many hours. You, you have no free weekday evenings, right? During the season that you work, you're traveling, you're working on weekends, you're, you're missing time with your family, with your friends, with your spouse. And if you find yourself in a situation where you've been let go, your hours have been reduced, your pay has been reduced, um, your fall sports are canceled and you don't think spring sports are coming back. I, I want you to be no more discouraged than you already are. Remember that time is truly your most valuable asset. You can never buy time. If you're a parent, the time that you can give your kids is invaluable. The time that you can put into your relationship is invaluable. 
your marriage and your relationship always needs time, always needs dedication, and you might have more of that right now. Um, yes, the money is a stressful thing. You know, it was for my boss, it was uh, my former boss, it was always about making money, as much money as he could. He would go from one professional team in New York and the next morning he'd be working at another one part-time. And it, now he has more time and he has a greater appreciation for it. And this is really hard to hear again, when we're struggling or we're closer to 21 years old than we are to 65. Um, having more time requires a big adjustment. Um, if you find yourself with more time than money right now, don't let that go to waste. You know, we can work on the money stuff. We can get that budget in place. We can set you up for success, whether it's this month or January or February when your spring sports start. We can get you on that plan. But if you have extra time on your hands right now, use that time, cultivate those relationships and don't take it for granted. Yeah, I think that's definitely, you know, having a summer to, you know, not have to work games and, and even from April to May and now early on, you know, those relationships obviously become better. You get to see your friends, you get to talk to, you know, you get to sleep in on a Saturday, you get to cook your own brunch or dinner or whatever. Um, but like you said, that is the, the, the important part of also, and as we've talked about with a lot of our webinars, is staying healthy mentally, physically, emotionally, um, and now financially. Um, Suzanne, thank you for taking time. Uh, before we let you go, you want to talk a little bit about some of the stuff that you may be able to offer some of our uh, Cosada members? Yeah, so definitely take advantage, guys. GraceFinancialCoaching.com slash subscribe. There's a subscribe button right on top. Get your email address in there. And then uh, within the next 48 hours, I'll be we'll be selecting five random people from everybody who signs up, gets that free budgeting sheet download, and five people will have completely complimentary coaching sessions. And uh, you know, in the event that you are not one of those people, uh, there is another link on my site. You can set up a free strategy session and that's 40 minutes and I will will go through your situation and I'll give you some feedback and let you know if you're on the right track or not. So no matter what, you can get 40 minutes of time with me, but you'll get full blown coaching sessions uh, if you are one of those five people who signs up via email today. Awesome. I'd like to thank you once again for joining our informative session and a big thanks to our presenter, Suzanne, for the discussion and insight. A uh, reminder, you can find all of our on-demand webinars on cosida.com. Uh, and on our YouTube channel later this afternoon. It will be in a podcast format as well. We'll uh, also have the links as well uh, on Cosida that Suzanne uh, has shared today. Uh, thanks for joining us today. We have two more webinars uh, scheduled for the next two Wednesdays as the Diversity and Inclusion Committee will present two LGBTQ plus webinars. As you see on the screen right there, one on the 22nd of September with uh, uh, part one of our uh, college athletics administrator's point of view. And then on the 29th, we'll have the student athlete point of view. Uh, and then our October uh, webinar, it will talk about uh, critical conversations, crafting and communicating messages of a university diversity a university diversity plan. Uh, please check and remember to check cosida.com and our cosida social channels updated information to register for those webinars. Thanks once again. Thanks to Suzanne. Have a great day, everybody.